Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Man, I love gathering together. Uh, I love being a part of a community of people as we worship together. And you guys were like crushing it this morning. You were singing so loud. It was so beautiful to, to hear the people of God come together um, to declare how good he is, to declare uh, his greatness and how much we love him. And um, so I hope you guys are already fired up. I hope you guys are already feeling um, just how much we are together in this thing as we, as we work out our faith in community. And uh, I want to jump right in because there's a lot going on in the in the code series, and we're gonna we're in uh, our next. This is our penultimate code series sermon, which means ne next to last. In case you didn't know what that word means, um, I didn't until just a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, so we are almost done. And the code sta statements are all about us having a common language about these core commitments that we have that that drive our beliefs, of course, but drive our actions as we use this language. In, in, in together, and we have common language around things like, uh, like live like Jesus is king. We want everybody to start using this language, and we want to start saying these things and actually living them out um, in our daily lives. And so let's go through them really quickly um, so, that, so that we have every single one so you're used to saying them. The first one I just said is live like Jesus is king. So let's say that together. Live like Jesus is king. Great. The second one is you belong. And if you remember, this is all about this idea that the, the invitation of Jesus is available to every single person. No matter if you are in the room and you, maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about. Maybe Jesus for you is somebody that you don't even like. The invitation to follow Jesus is still there. Jesus is still asking you to follow him. And if you've been a follower forever, then Jesus is asking you to follow closer and go deeper in faith. And so you belong no matter where you are on, on the spectrum of faith. So let's say that together. You belong. And then we went into the shortest one, which is multiply. It's all about discipleship. It's all about Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. So let's say multiply together. Multiply. And then after multiply, you can actually, it's already on my shirt, don't do life alone. And, and, and if you see somebody with one of these blue shirts on, that, that means they are a small group leader because um, these are our new small group leader shirts. And the reason why we chose don't do life alone, uh, because it, it's a little bit more intense than simply, hey, we're better together, or you know, we're made to be in community. All of those things are true, but man, do we ever believe that if you are doing life alone, if you are doing faith alone, it is not good for us as a body, it's not good for you, it actually can be detrimental to your faith and detrimental to your psyche. So we say don't do life alone, get in community, find your people. So together, let's say, don't do life alone. And then after that, we have for the one, this, this, this commitment that we have for, for the lost, for people who don't yet know who Jesus is. People in your life, people in my life, um, co-workers, people we meet at restaurants, people that need to know the love of Jesus. We pray for the one. We, we do this for the one. We, have, we create space for the one. So together, let's say, for the one. And then last week, if you were here, you heard Pastor Tim give us the all-in, this idea that we all get a chance to participate. We believe that every single person in, in this room, if you have called Jesus your Lord and you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a purpose. You've been given gifts, and, and those gifts need to be used for the kingdom of God. And all of us get to do this together. So we are together all in. And then this week, we have Give Till It Matters. Give till it matters. Let's say that one together. Give till it matters. 
And this is kind of a two-parter because uh, there's, there's two different way in, ways in which we give till it matters. The first part is that we give till it matters to us. And we're going to talk about this a lot. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 this morning. And we're going to talk about how this actually matters to us and matters to our soul and matters to our life. But, but there are people who sometimes they don't think about giving until it matters. Some, some people can just give and they don't even think about it. Uh, but other people, they actually say, man, I'm going to give until I can, I can feel it. Give till it begins to transform my heart and transform my soul. And so we have this individualistic give till it matters. And then we have a corporate give until it matters. Give till it matters to us as a church, but also give till it matters till we can begin to do mission and ministry in the, to the fullness of what God has for us. That we can begin to together have an impact. This is what the code is all about. Is us pulling in the same direction and changing the world for the kingdom of God. And so Give Till It Matters has this kind of a, a two-part thing. Uh, but it also has uh, multiple meanings. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is money. Uh, give Till It Matters. And, and yes, we are talking about money today. So enjoy your, enjoy your time this morning. It's not awkward at all. Um, and the, so give till it matters definitely means money, but it also means a giving of the talents, the gifts, the skills that God has given you. Um, there are God-given gifts that start from what, when you, I mean, there, there you, you people, you have natural gifts that God has given you at birth. And you have spiritual gifts that kind of set those things on fire in a good way and actually can have supernatural impact. And so God asks us to give those back to his kingdom. And then, of course, there's time. We all have some time. Some of us think we have less time than others, but we can give that back in order to push the kingdom forward. So we're going to kind of hit all those three. So no matter what I'm talking about, I'm kind of giving all those. I'm lumping them all together this morning. But like I said, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 25, and it, we're going through verses 14 all the way through 30. So this is a very long passage of Scripture. Um, so brace yourselves. It's going to be a little bit of a marathon. Uh, but before we look into the word, I just want to pray uh, and ask God to reveal himself through, through his word. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for everything that you've given us. We thank you for being a good God. We thank you that you've not only spoken uh, to us in the past, but you're speaking to us now. And so I invite your Holy Spirit to just reveal yourself through your word uh, this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, like I said, we're in Matthew chapter 25, and this is um, part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's basically uh, Jesus teaching on the Mount of Olives, and, and he's actually teaching about the kingdom of God. All of this is about what's going to happen when the kingdom of God begins to expand, when the kingdom of God, which Jesus was ushering in, was going to happen. And he gave this, this series of teachings, these parables, in the midst, right before he was going to the cross. So this is one of the last things that happens in the book of Matthew before Jesus' passion narrative um, comes in. And that just means the story of how he went to the cross and died for my sins and your sins. And so he has, these, he has a couple of things, uh, the stories, and, and they're all about this idea of being prepared. Don't let the kingdom of God show up and you not be prepared for it. And right here in, Math, in the second half of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus kind of sh shifts just a tiny bit to, um, okay, now that you're starting to get prepared, this is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like to be part of the kingdom of God. And normally this, this passage is called the, um, the parable of the talents. Um, our scriptures, our, our interpretation that we're gonna, that's going to be on the screen uh, is from the New International Version. So it, it 
replaces talents with bags of money. But you need to understand that the original Greek is talento, where we get the word talent. And in many translations of the Bible, it's still the parable of the talent. So when I say five bags of money, sometimes like other translations say five talents. And you should know, one more thing before we jump in, is that a talent was a lot of money. Uh, in fact, most scholars believe that one talent equaled 20 years of pay, like 20 years of salary. Anybody in the room would love 20 years of salary right now? I know I would. There's only four people that want 20 years of salary. Anybody else with me? Okay, we, we ended up with four people. The rest of you guys must be rich, I'm telling you. Anyway, so Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, here we go. It says, again, it will be, and by it, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one, uh, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went um, at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the, one, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of, of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, uh, gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Oh. Um, so you know that I harvested where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have had received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the dark, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a lot. It's really intense. But here we go. I think this is really important for us to understand because we sometimes I think we skip over um, passages of Scripture like this when Jesus is being a little aggressive and he's saying some things that we're like, Jesus, why are you being so mean? And so we don't like mean Jesus, right? We like happy Jesus. And, but there's an important part of us being part of this kingdom of God that, that, that is here that, that Jesus is talking about. And he's talking to, to us, I believe. And so there's four things that we can pull out of this. Well, there's more than four, but we don't have time for more than that. So I'm just going to jump right into what Jesus is trying to communicate to us through this passage. So the first thing is I think that we can, we can very clearly see that the gifts are different. Gifts are different, but the expectations are the same. 
The gifts are different. Like it says clearly that he gave five talents to one guy, two talents to another, and one to another according to his ability. And, and so the, the, the first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus gives every single one of us different gifts. And this is part of, we've been teaching about this forever. There's, there's various gifts. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He's like, man, just because you're a hand doesn't mean you can say I'm not a foot and I'm not part of the body. We all have different things that God wants to accomplish through us. And God has given us different capacities. And so, again, if I bring it back to, to maybe money in this, in this instance, there are some people in, this, in, in the room that have a lot of money. And there are other people who are like, man, I don't have a lot of money. But the expectation that God has for every single one of us is the same, is that we use what God has given us. We use these talents in order to, to bear fruit for the kingdom, in order to accomplish things that God has for us to accomplish. And so the, the, the servant that had five came back and he had five. Great. Expectation met. The servant who had two came back with another two. Great. Expectation met. And Jesus didn't say that the master was like, oh, man, the one who had five, I'm so much more happy than the one who had two. In fact, this, the same statement was true about both of them. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's, it's this picture of whatever God has given you is, is you leverage that, you utilize it for the kingdom. If you go out onto the wall um, and you look and you see give till it matters, underneath it you'll see uh, it says that it's about undeniable generosity. It's about leveraging what we have to see the kingdom advance. And that's what this is all about. That's what this parable is all about. Are you leveraging the things that God has already entrusted to you to build the kingdom? And so whether that is your finances whether that is your time. Some people have been given a lot of time. Other people, I don't have a ton of time. Well, it doesn't matter. Use what God has given you for the kingdom. Don't use it for your own gain. Don't use it for your own pleasure. Do it for the kingdom. Use it for the kingdom. And the same thing with talent. Some people are insanely talented. But you can't look over at somebody who's like, I'm uber talented in this, and so I'm just going to back away because I'm not that talented. And they'll make a difference, and I won't. Because we're all called to make a difference. So the first thing that we can pull out of this is that the, the gifts are different, the size might be different, but the expectations are the same. The second thing I think we can pull out of this is that good work equals more work. Um, I, I think this is the other thing that we sometimes forget or get wrong as, a, as Americans or Westerners, I think. We have this individualistic view of our lives that my money is for me, my time is for me, my gifts are for me. We have this very individualistic idea. And we're actually going to talk about how, how that's not the case here in a little bit um, because God has a, a thing for us to do. But we have this thing like if, if, I, if I do good work, uh, I, then I'm going to be more blessed. If, if I bless somebody, God's going to bless me. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says that after the servants went out and they did some good work, some really good work, they doubled their, their master's investment. And the master says, good work, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been entrusted with a little bit. Now I'm going to entrust you with more. The idea being that you're going to do more for the kingdom. He didn't say, I'm going to pay you more. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a reward. He said, listen, I'm going to give you more stuff to do because you're faithful. And that's what we have to start thinking through the, the, the totality of our lives. And, and you have to answer for yourselves, do you want to be in this for you or do you want to be in this for the kingdom? Because if you 
start to adopt and be transformed into this, somebody who has a kingdom mindset, then you'll want more so that you can give more. So you'll want more time so you can give more time. You'll want uh, to, to have more influence and you'll want to have more skills. And so you will develop that not for your own glory, not for your own hoarding of whatever, but for the glory of God. And the people who, who learn this principle in finances, it might seem like God has bestowed on them some sort of blessing, but it's actually a, a, a conduit to be a blessing for people. And so if we have that mindset, then I believe that God is going to give us more. He's going to give us more influence in this area. And, and in, a, in a little bit, we're going to talk about us as a church together and, and, and what we can do together. But imagine if, if all of a sudden we were faithful as a church and we got a chance to, for God to be like, man, I've entrusted you with this many. Now I'm going to entrust you with more. Does anybody in the room have a desire to see more people come to know Christ? Do any of you guys have a desire to see people who are hurting stop hurting? To see freedom happen? To see people who are turning to the wrong things turn to Jesus and find what they're looking for? Anybody? So church, I think we need to be faithful with God, with what God has entrusted with us now because he wants desperately to entrust us with more next. Third thing that I think we can pull out of this scripture is that failure is an option. Failure is an option. Laziness is not. Failure is an option. Laziness is not. If you go to the third to the third servant. The master didn't say, man, you tried and you lost all my money. That's not what he says. He says, you didn't even try. You went and buried it in a field. The least you could have done was given it to the bank. That's legit. I mean, like you could have taken just the tiniest step of just putting it in the bank and then I would have gotten some interest and then we would have been cool. But you are wicked and you are lazy. You see, God has given us stuff, and, he, and I don't think that he would be even sad if we tried and we failed at some stuff. That we, if we tried and we failed at doing a certain ministry, or we wanted to finance something and we didn't quite get it right, or whatever it is, I think he'll be like, that's great, nice try. But man, it's the people who are like, man, I'm just not going to do anything. I like Netflix, that's great. You know, those are the people that, that Jesus is saying, man, in the kingdom... Those are the people who the master calls wicked and lazy. And I, and, and I do apologize if some of you are feeling like, this is really harsh. Jesus said it. I'm just repeating it. <laughs> so I think if, if anybody in the room has kids or knows anybody that has kids or has seen a child at any point in your life, um, you would know that for the most part, parents, I, I don't think I've ever gotten mad at my children um, for not getting something right, for failing. I don't think I ever have. I, I, I wouldn't even get frustrated if they failed at stuff. Um, but there's this principle among children that at least in some area or another, that they will say that they're trying uh, when they're completely not trying at all. Um, 
Like, uh, like for example, like when I when I was teaching my kids um, how to hit a baseball, the, the, when when uh, my kids stand up there and they give it a shot and they miss it, I don't yell at them like, "Oh, I can't believe you missed it again, you little jerk!" I wouldn't do that. However, when they like, when they get up there and then they're like, "I can't do it," and I'm like, w like I go from zero to hundred percent frustrated in in one second. Like, you, like some people are laughing because people know that, that this happens with children where they just like, I tried. I can't do it. Like, you didn't even try. You didn't even raise the bat. Uh, I, I didn't. And then, and then when you throw the ball and they're just like, <laughs> like, I, I really did try. Like, you didn't do anything I asked you to do. I, I gave you all these skills. In fact, God gave you muscles and bones and some sort of coordination. And you're not utilizing any of those things to accomplish the task that we're at here to accomplish. And... The frustration is over their lack of effort. It's almost as if they were saying, man, you are just being lazy. You're not utilizing anything. And the thing about the, the, the reason why this matters to us is because God designed us to do things. Part of our fulfillment in life, our purpose being here, is to do the things that God wants us to do, to live into the fullness of who he's made us to be. And when we don't, when we're lazy, we're actually not being the person God created us to be. We're actually destroying part of his creation by not doing anything. And that's the person that Jesus is saying will, will be called wicked and lazy. They're not doing anything. They're not accomplishing anything. And it's not because they, they, they messed up. It's not because they, they got it wrong. It's not because they failed. It's because they didn't even try. So we need to understand, man, failure is not a problem. Failure is an option. But doing nothing, that's not an option. And so uh, Jesus has some harsh words. And then the, th the fourth thing, the very fourth thing that we have in this is that if you don't use it, you will lose it. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. This is both spiritual truth. Like, understand, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about how we operate here on earth, and there's spiritual truth to it, and we'll get there in a second. But this is true in life. Is anybody uh, in the room ever good at something when you're a kid and you can't do it at all now? Anyone with me? There's like three people. Like, there's a few more of you, everyone in first. They were like, they're still good at everything. It's amazing. <laughs> but when I was... Uh, right after I got married, um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you love golfing. Uh, not really the Holy Spirit, um, but something happened. Something happened, and it wasn't like I went out to play a round of golf, and all of a sudden I loved it, and I was, I, it was like November. It, it was snowing outside. My parents asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I was like, I really want to golf. I really want to become a golfer. There's something, it was the weirdest thing. I don't understand why it happened. It just happened. And so when I was younger, I used to be able to, before kids, I used to be able to go out and play golf. And for a little bit of time, I actually worked as a golf caddy, and I got to golf like four or five times a week. And I actually got pretty good at golfing. I, I mean, I, I'm not a professional golfer or anything, but if any of you know what golf, like golf parlance is, I was a single-digit handicap for a little while. So I could, I could score uh, within 10 strokes of par on average when I would play. And that means I'm a pretty good amateur golfer. Not great, but good. And um, then I had my first daughter, and this is also a principle in life, is that when you have kids, you cannot justify going golfing, spending as much time golfing, or spending the money on golfing. You just can't. You have to, you have to take care of children. It's like being an adult, right? Um, so 
I stopped playing golf four to five times a week, and I started playing golf four to five times a year. And little by little, actually fairly quickly, I got way worse at golf. And if I was uh, a 20 handicap, which means that I'm twice as worse as I used to be, that would be on a really good day. Uh, and and that, that now I can still hit a couple good shots. Every once in a while it happens. Like I'll get up there like, oh, that felt really good. I got good contact. The ball went straight and it went forward. And then usually that's followed up by the worst shot you could ever imagine, just into the woods to the left. And man, I'll tell you what, I do not throw golf clubs anymore. Um, <laughs> But every time I hit one of those stupid shots, I just want to. Like in my mind, I just picture Happy Gilmore, if you've seen that, that movie, you know. Um, and, but the truth is, is that because I've not used the gift, used the skill, used the talent that I had in playing golf, I've lost the ability to play at the level that I used to. And the truth is this, is, this is true in your life. This is true in my life physically. But this is also true in your spiritual life. The gifts that God has given you, you need to utilize them for his kingdom. In this story, Jesus actually says, man, the, I, I had given this, this, the last servant one talent, 20 years of salary. He didn't do anything with it. So take it away from him. Give it to the person that actually is making a difference. Man. That should terrify some of us, that Jesus is going to take away some of the gifts that he's given us and given it to this other person because they're actually doing something with it. They're not being lazy about it. And so this is why this stuff matters to us. God wants you to live into the fullness that he has for you so that you can make an impact for his kingdom. And so I, I want to kind of uh, take a step into the other direction. We're going to do kind of not really a hard transition, but a transition from the, this individual side, this individual thing that, that this is what God is, is putting inside of each one of you, um, but to, to what has God called us to do? How does this give till it matters as a corporate body uh, play into this whole thing? And uh, I was thinking about uh, this earlier this week, and uh, around the turn of the 20th century, so late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a man uh, who developed the Pareto Principle. His name is Vilfredo Pareto, um, which is a fantastic name, if you ask me. Um, and I, I, I challenge, if anybody happens to go to Olive Garden after this, just say Vilfredo Pareto and see if they bring you a fettuccine. Like, I just, I, immediately, that's just, I, every time I think about his name now, I just think about a plate of delicious fettuccine Alfredo. Anyway, Vilfredo Pareto developed this principle that says that 20% in any system, 20% of people or, or input um, is responsible for 80% of the output. So if it's an organization full of people, 20% of the people do 80% of the work in accomplishing the mission. And so I, I was thinking about this this week, and I was like, 80%, 20%, 20% of people, okay, let me see, because clearly Christians are different, right? Christians have been caught by the grip of grace, right? That we're on mission because Jesus died for our sins. He gave us new life. So we're excited about doing mission. So clearly we're not going to look like the rest of the world that only 20% of us are doing it, right? You know, feeling what I'm saying? So I'm, I got out the, the calculator. I started to do some maths this week. And, and I took the total number of people that called the Rock Church their home. And, and I decided to take uh, the, the total number of people that are on a dream team, people who are serving here at the church. Uh, and that would be like doing host ministry, doing kids ministry, outreach, or whatever it is. Do you know what number I got when I, when I calculated the percentage? Anybody? 
20% exactly. Like literally, my calculator said 0.2, and that was it. And I was like, that was like right on there. And I was like, surely this couldn't be the case. We're, we're believers in Jesus. He's called us to mission. He's given every single one of us the great commission to make disciples, to go places and, and to accomplish things for his kingdom. Surely we're not like just like the rest of the world. But the truth is we are. We at the Rock Church are just like the rest of the world. And I thought about asking you to like look to your right and look to your left and realize that if you're serving, you're the only one in your row. Um, but I decided not to do that. In fact, instead, I just decided to tell you I was going to do it. So, this, so you're still convicted, but it's less awkward. Um, <laughs> because we're going to talk about finances and it's going to get real awkward. No, it's all right. Um, but the truth is, you need to understand that we have a bigger vision. So much bigger than simply 66 Gorham Road. That 20% um, basically makes us do church on the weekend okay, right? We're, we're hanging on. We're hanging in there. Uh, so for those of you who are part of that 20% that are, that are serving, thank you so much. Because we, we, you know, we need people to serve coffee, to, to greet, to, to run sound, to do stuff on the stage. They told me before first service that next Sunday, they, they had 13 slots open in kids' ministry. 13 slots open. And so we're holding on. We're getting it done. We're making church happen. And I'm so thankful for those that do, but that's not the vision. The vision was never to end with 66 Gorham Road. The vision. Is Maine. The vision is to saturate the greater Portland area with the gospel. To go into a place that seems so dark, where people are hurting so much. And we're not going to be able to do that with 20%. We can't. It can't be done. And you should know we actually have a five-year vision that in, in the next five years, we want the number of people serving to go from 20% to 50%. And the reason why we chose 50% is because we knew it would be super creepy and awkward if it, if it was like a one-to-one -one ratio. You're like, hello, I'm Ryan. I am your concierge for the day. Let me take you in, get you a cup of coffee. Let me take you in the worship center. Do you need me to raise your hands for you? Because it's been a long week. So we didn't want personal assistance. We wanted 50% we wanted because it would, it would be, we would bust out of here. We'd have to find new things for us to do. We'd have to find new things to help go and reach the culture in which God has called us to reach. So we want to move this from 20% to 50%. And that's going to take us together. Giving until it matters, giving of our time, giving of the talents that God has given us, pushing further and further. And so if you are part of the 80% who are kind of just like hanging out, um, God has something more for you. God does. So take a step. It doesn't have to be a massive step. You, you, sometimes we have to learn how to do this thing. But take a step. Sign up for Growth Track. That's a, that's a small step. Learn what it means to be a part of the Rock Church, both as, as, a, a, as a, an attender, but also as a server. And we'll see that maybe God will, will, will burden you a new ministry that, that is going to go out of this place. Maybe you are the person that God has given the vision for what comes next. Because we are going to multiply people. 
That's, what we're, that's one of our code statements. We're going to multiply disciples of Jesus. We're going to multiply uh, ministries. And we're going to get out of this place and go and make a difference. And we're going to multiply churches. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to plant other rock churches, then, then we're going to need people to do it. And we're going to need more than 20%. So my question to you is, will you, will you join the 20%? And then the second area is in finances. And so I decided to look and, and see. I'm like, surely, surely it can't be 20% again. So I, I got the old calculator out again, or my brand new fancy iPhone calculator, which is brand new. Um, but I pulled it out. And I did the same thing. I took the total number of people that call the Rock Church their home and the total number of people that give on a, on a consistent basis. And I looked at the numbers, and can anyone guess what number came up? 20%. Now, I will say it wasn't exactly 0.2. It was like, it was like 0.2001785. So it's slightly different. Um, but it's still, this, it's still the same number, right? It's still really basically 20%. And I was like, dang, we're at 20%. And, man, we're followers of Jesus. We should be all in on the vision, all in on the mission, all in on what is next. And, and I will tell you, I'll let you know that, that we're like, our, our, like our, our income and outcome is steady. Like, we're, like, we don't have to lay off people. We're not doing, like, ministry budget freezes. So thank you for being a generous church, but we're not going to expand. There's no way for us to go into other places to fund other ministries, to fund more missions. We, we can't do it. And, and I actually looked at, at the, the numbers again of a different, different calculation of numbers that, that if the median income of Scarborough, um, which is not as high as you would think, it's like $52,000 or something like that. If, if we were to take that number and we were to apply a tithe to everybody that comes, every adult that comes to the Rock Church, we would have a $5.5 million surplus in our budget. Not like that means that we would take care of all the stuff that we've got taken the need to take care of. And now we have five and a half million dollars to do with whatever God has vision for us to do. Man, who could we reach? What can we do? Probably a lot. You know what I'm saying? And so again, if you are part of that 80% that, that are that are not contributing, man, I'm inviting you into, into more. Join the 20%. And, and, and I know so for a lot of people, tithe is, is hard. It's difficult. 10%. Gas is $5 a gallon right now. I understand it. But just take a step. Start with 1%. If you're at 1%, maybe go to 2%. And let's see what God will do. Because, again, we have a vision that goes beyond here. And then if we're going to plant churches, it's going to take kingdom finances. And you know where kingdom finances come from? The kingdom. From you guys. And so if this is you, imagine what we could do together. Imagine who we could reach. Imagine the, the ministries that we could do if we just decided to give until it matters. And then finally, I want to just kind of bring this home by going back to Matthew uh, chapter 25. And in verse 21, this is the first time that Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And it struck me as uh, the first time that I, I realized it was, was this week. It's like, because I've always wanted God to, to say to me, well done, good and faithful servants. I cannot wait until that day that I stand in heaven. Can't wait. But he goes on. He, and, he, and he said, yeah, you've been, you've been given a little, but you've been entrusted with a little. Now you'll be entrusted with more. But then he says this. He says, come and join and share your master's happiness. In other translations that I read this week, it says, come live in your master's joy. 
I thought about that. And I thought about a picture of heaven. And the party that's going to happen. As we walk in, and Jesus says, come, live in your master's joy. But you know, has anybody been to a party that, that you're not on mission with the other people? I, I've been to a couple like Starbucks Christmas parties, um, and they're like, woohoo, this is like the best quarter we've ever had as a district. And I'm like, oh yeah, I had a good cup of coffee, I don't care. Dude, I don't think God wants any of us to get to heaven and not be able to live in the joy that we accomplish this thing together. He wants us all to hear the words, well done. Come and enjoy the party. Come and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Come celebrate with me for what we have done together. And so choosing to give until it matters will actually, in the end, come back to filling you and Jesus with so much joy. Because that's what we were designed to do. This is who God has called us to be. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but I know that you have a next step. Whether that's giving a little bit more, whether that's serving a little bit more, whether that's spending your time visioning about what God can do instead of wasting your time on something else. And so we're gonna sing this song, it's called Do It Again. And uh, we have uh, said this, this phrase um, over and over again around here that we are living in the middle of a miracle. And I want to let you guys know it is a miracle that this church is here. That this type of church, in this type of area, in this time, it's nothing short of a miracle. But don't make the mistake of thinking it's a past miracle. Don't make the mistake that God has done. Because he has more for you. He has more for me. He has more for us. And what he's done in the past, I believe he'll do it again. And so we're going to sing this as an anthem. We're going to remember the goodness of our God. We're going to remember the things that he's done in us and through us, but we're going to declare, perhaps prophetically, man, God, you are going to do this again. So let's stand together. Let's prepare our hearts to worship. And I want you to sing this loud. And I want you to allow the hope that Jesus has, has given us, the vision for what he's going to do in this area. Just fill your souls as we declare that God's going to do this miracle again and again. Let's worship.